It's an honor to have with us a great missionary with us today, uh, Tim Lane, and his uh, family, his wife and three younger age children. After several years of ministry in the context of a local church here in the States, felt that God was leading them to be a part of the Live Dead moment movement. You're going to hear about that uh, this morning. So they uprooted their family out of sort of the comforts that all of us right here in America enjoy and relocated their young family to Cairo, Egypt, where they begin to learn the language and begin to learn the culture and to become involved in evangelistic activities and, and uh, outreach there. And uh, as a result of that, just over time, what has happened, in, in fact, um, they have just recently, not too long ago, after their first term, uh, Tim took over leadership of advocacy for all of the live, day, uh, live dead entities. By the way, if you're just saying, well, I'd like to know more about that. And um, there's some books that are available out of the missions table where you can read some of our missionaries and a part of this movement. But basically, Live Dead exists to plant the church among unreached people uh, that are scattered around the world. People that have not been reached, people do, that do not have a gospel witness, people that do not have a church or a Bible or have not heard about Jesus. And so it's a very, very important thing that they are engaged in. And Tim is very much a vital part of that. And it's our honor and our joy to have him with us today. And so would you put your hands together and you, would you welcome our guest missionary, Tim Lang. Would you welcome him as he comes? Pastor Jeff. Well, thank you, Pastor Jeff, and thank you uh, to Pastor Blackburn and your wonderful church here. It is an honor to be with you here uh, this morning. Uh, as Pastor Jeff said, my name is Tim, uh, and me, along with uh, my family, are missionaries with this Live Dead thing. Uh, but it is such an honor to be here with you today. Uh, you may not know this, but we are one of the pictures that are in that little green prayer uh, journal. And can I tell you, I, uh, I snuck in and grabbed one of those earlier and leafed through it. That's an incredible resource. That, that, that you have something, something very special uh, available to you here at this church. And so please take advantage of that. Uh, that's a great honor for us as missionaries, I'll tell you, uh, and a wonderful thing. So we, um, to introduce myself a little bit, let you get to know me, we're one of those missionaries that you guys have supported, so I want you to know who I am a little better. Uh, you'll have to forgive me. I was born and raised in Canada, uh, just outside of Toronto, eh, you hosers? Um, <laughs> But uh, I lived there for the first 23 years of my life. There's a bit of a story as to what I did in college and what I did with some of that time, but that's for another time. Um, today, uh, we're going to talk about something different than that. So after that season, I went to North Central University in the Twin Cities uh, of Minneapolis, St. Paul. I uh, studied church music there. Uh, I met my wife and she kept me. So um, we, we, uh, we started in ministry, as Pastor Jeff said, for the next six years at a local church in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis, St. Paul. And that was an incredible time of fruitful ministry where we really enjoyed uh, being part of a church like this with a huge heart for missions that does things great to reach people locally. Uh, it was just such a blessing and, you know, providing for your family, doing creative arts. Like, I mean, this is kind of the dream, right? Like, uh, and all this kind of stuff. But then God flipped our worlds upside down. Uh, and called us to move to Cairo and live there uh, and join this thing called Live Dead. And I always tell people, Live Dead is, is two simple things. It's a simple church planting strategy. We do church planting among unreached people groups through teams. That's Live Dead. Uh, simple. It's not an organization. It's a strategy. It's an ethos, if you will. It's an idea. Uh, but the other thing that it is, is it's a name that scares parents. 
right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but just to help you get a better idea of just the heart uh, and vision of LD, we have a real quick video here that I want you to see that'll share that for you guys. Live Dead is a call to plant churches among unreached people groups through teams. The heart of Live Dead is to respond to the challenge of access. We are responding in a very simple way. Planting churches among unreached peoples through teams. Teams are groups of people who live in the same city or village. And meet weekly to pray, evangelize, disciple, and plant churches together. We know that we are stronger together than we are apart. A Live Dead team is made up of people with a wide variety of skill sets. And may include people from different organizations, generations, and ethno-linguistic groups. We work in partnership with national believers and the wider body of Christ. Churches are groups of local men and women who have abandoned their former way of life to follow Jesus. Some gather in church buildings, but most will meet secretly in houses. Churches are groups of believers committed to teaching and learning the Bible. Spending time with each other in Christian fellowship, to celebrating the Lord's Supper and baptism, and to a lifestyle of abiding in Jesus. Without a doubt, our world is covered with lost people. We don't have to look far to find someone who is lost and in need of the saving gospel that comes only through Jesus Christ. The Live Dead focus is on access to the gospel. We know of entire countries with fewer than 10 known believers. An unreached people group simply defined is an ethno-linguistic tribe or demographic that is less than 2% evangelical Christian. There are almost 3 billion people and approximately 7,000 people groups in the world today that are unreached. Of those nearly 7,000 people groups, around 3,000 of them are what we call unengaged. No local churches, no missionaries, and no teams resident and working towards church planting. Our goal in Live Dead is to respond to this great need to plant churches that multiply effectively in their own culture. Live Dead is currently active in training church planters and launching church planting teams in eight major regions, Africa, the Arab world, Silk Road, Iran, India, Origins, Russia, and China. In our world today, Unreached people tend to be found in countries at war, inhospitable climates, dense cities, unstable governments, and in the midst of challenging security circumstances. In this new normal of instability, we are committed to living, and if needed, dying, among the unreached wherever they are found. Motivated by the love of God, we go where there are no churches and no Christians. We go where there is no gospel message and where Jesus is not glorified. We go for the single and uniting mission of the church. To bring glory to the name of Jesus among every tribe, nation, and tongue. That is why we live dead. Planting churches, unreached people groups, teams. So that gives you a little bit of who we are, what we do, and our goal. Um, and for myself and uh, my wife and my family, we oversee advocacy, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, for all of Live Dead, those eight uh, regions. You kind of see those logos on the screen for all eight of our entities. And advocacy, we'll hear a little bit more about this later, but it is basically to empower people to pray, speak, give, and go for the sake of the unreached. The reality is that every single one of us have a role to play in God's mission. And so advocacy, we, we try to help you uh, realize that. And you know, I had a moment when I was in Cairo, 
Um, we have these moments. We're going to talk this morning a little bit about lenses, okay? We're going to look at some realities. We're not here yet, guys, but we're going to look at some realities, and we're going to see the lenses through which we view those realities and how they affect our perspective on things. Um, and I had a moment that was a very uh, lens-shifting or perspective-shifting moment for me when I lived in Cairo. I was at uh, the Mosque of Muhammad Ali, which is up on the top of Mokata Mountain in the city of Cairo. Uh, this view, we have a picture that shows you the view that we saw. It overlooks a huge portion of the city. This city, Cairo, is a city of 30 million people. And I was standing up there when the noon Friday call to prayer rang out. And I don't know if you know about Islam very much or Fridays, but Friday is the holy day. Okay, you might miss prayers all throughout the week, but you don't miss Friday. Okay, Friday at noon, this is, this is their Sunday morning, right? Everyone goes, or I should say, all the men go to the mosque and pray on Friday at noon. The city's shut down, nothing is happening. And so we were there Friday at noon and the call to prayer rang out. And if you've never heard this happen in the Arab world, it's very difficult to describe to you, but it's essentially just this very... Uh, it's a groaning, droning sound, very oppressive feeling that swells and builds all across the city. Uh, and there's nowhere you could be in that city of 30 million people and not hear this. And I remember standing up there as that happened and hearing this kind of wall of sound kind of erupting from the city. And um, I remember thinking this thought, there's easily 10,000 mosques in the city of Cairo. If you put just 100 people in each of those, that's a million people. And that would be a very, very low estimate, by the way, 100 people in each of those. That's a million people. If they prayed for 10 minutes, that's 10 million minutes of prayer to nothing. To a religious system that binds them in the darkness and a God that does not hear them. And I remember standing there in that moment and God speaking to my heart and saying, do my people pray like that? And then he made it personal. He said, do you pray like that? And uh, I can't say I was really proud of my answer. Now listen, there's a reality we know and we believe that one minute of prayer to Almighty God can overcome 10 million minutes of prayer to nothing, okay? We know and realize that, but there's a reality that we must believe as followers of Christ, and that is that things happen when we pray that wouldn't happen if we didn't. We have to believe that, and we have to know that sovereign God moves, and this is the foundational cornerstone of one of the pieces of advocacy, which is live dead pray. The reality that we are all called to engage in prayer, and that our prayers not only help and support someone, uh, we pray for our missionaries, and this is an amazing aspect of prayer that helps and supports uh, us as we go out, and them as they go out and do the work that God has called them to do, but prayer also is an offensive tool that we have for taking ground, for accomplishing things in the real world. And so we want to see people mobilized through prayer. But this was just one of those lens shifting moments uh, that I experienced. So when we look this morning, we're going to look at three simple realities that exist in our world today. You've already heard a couple of them. Uh, but reality number one is that around 40% of our world is what we would call unreached. Okay. That's 3.1 billion people. You just think about that for a moment. 40% of our world has never heard the name of Jesus, and we have no reason to believe right now that their culture, their, their ethnic, ethno-linguistic group, their people group, could ever come to know Jesus. That's a large number. The other reality, number two, is that there's a very simple mission. Jesus' final words in Matthew 28, 19, we know it well, right? Jesus' final words before he left his followers, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? This was his final words. These you, you have to think that his final words before he left people would be very important to him, right? This would be a very important message that he wanted to convey if this was the last thing that we have recorded he said to his followers and disciples. And the third reality is that we are God's plan A. God's plan for accomplishing this mission is us. 
And a uh, little spoiler alert, <laughs> there's no plan B. Okay? He, he doesn't have some like some ace up his sleeve or something. We are his plan and he wants to use all of us. So I want to look at these three realities. We're not going to spend a lot of time looking at, talking about those specifically, but the lenses through which we can view these realities. The first lens we're going to look at is God's lens. How does he view these realities? How does he see the world? I'll tell you one thing he doesn't do. He's not panicking, right? Like he's not up there saying, oh boy, that was too much for them. I don't, I don't think they can do it. What did I do? I blew it. No, that's not what he's thinking. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 gives us a glimpse into what God views this as. In this passage leading up to this, we'll look at the verses ahead of this in the next lens. But this is talking about the gospel message, okay? And he says that, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts, so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light. What light? The gospel message. We have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And uh, I think God has fun ways of revealing to us that we are fragile clay jars. Okay, this is God's lens. He views us. He knows that he has put this great treasure, what he sent his son for. Uh, As a father, I can barely imagine the thought of sending uh, my child to die for someone else. Uh, but this is what God did for us. And, and this is what he views. He takes that treasure so dear to his heart and he has put it in us. And what does he see? He see, we're fragile clay jars. But, but what's the beauty of this is that the great things that happen, the great things that God does are clearly revealed as being God because there is no way you or I or any of our missionaries on the field have what it takes in and of ourselves to see this world brought to Jesus. It will only be because of the great power of God working in and through us that it happens. And, uh, you know, God gives you some of those moments. Have you ever tried to take a family with young kids? My, my kids, I, oh, I should have told you their names. We have Claire. She is seven. Adeline is six. Uh, we're in the six months of the year where I sound like we're nuts. Uh, they were born 18 months apart. So for half of the year, we sound like we planned our lives and we know what we were doing uh, as parents. And the other half is now. Um, and then we have a 20-month-year-old son, Wesley. And when we went to Cairo, Wesley wasn't with us yet, uh, but we had Claire and Adeline, and we went there. Have you ever, have you ever moved to a country like Egypt uh, where you're not allowed to be a missionary and brought a two- and a three-year-old who just simply repeat everything that they hear? <laughs> you probably haven't, uh, but it's, it's an adventure. So I want you to picture with us. We're still American. Okay, we're just landing on the field in Cairo. Now, in the Arab world and in Egypt, they have jet bridges, okay? You know, the, the, the walkways from the airport terminal to the plane, jet bridges? Uh, they don't use them. I don't know why, but they don't. So you land on this big, huge plane, and the first thing you do, you walk down the stairs onto the tarmac, and you walk and get in this bus, and you get your first experience of what a bus in Cairo is like. Uh, and to help you understand that, that is fill a bus and then put twice as many people in it. This is about, so the good news is your kids can't hurt themselves because if they're completely held up with the mass of people, they can't even fall over. Like they're just pinned there. So picture us, we have our two umbrella strollers. We've got like the seven carry-on bags. We've got the blankies, the stuffies, the pillows. I mean, we've just been on two pretty long flights to get to Cairo and we pile onto this bus trying to carry it all. And I'm in mission mode, right? I'm like, okay, we're, we're missionaries we're in the country of Egypt. Okay, I know what I have to do. I got to fill out this customs form. I go over to that bank window on the other side. I get my visa. I get in line for the customs agent. We're good. I, we can do this. So I get in and I, and I grab one of these from uh, Pastor Dan yesterday at church. This is a Victory Church pen, okay? Uh, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, I was on staff at a church uh, for six years leading up to this. 
So I get ready to fill up my customs form and I go digging through my bag and I pull out a pen. Whoop, not that one. <laughs> Every single pen that I have has our church name just plastered right on top of it, right? <laughs> Reality is this is not a big deal. But in that moment, right, you're like, oh dear. So I, I take this pen, I flip it over so the logo's down, right? And I'm like, okay, quickly fill it out. And I'm kind of, you know, doing one of these numbers. Fill out the form. I get it just finished. I'm like, whew, dodge that bullet. Seriously, it's not that big a bullet, but whatever. It seemed that way in the moment. And all of a sudden, I had this tap on my shoulder. Excuse me, sir. Sir. Yeah? yeah? Could I borrow your pen? <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm not going to say no. So, sh sure. Boom. Give him the pen. I'm gone. I take off. We're at the other side of that terminal faster than you can blink. I'm at the bank window. I'm like, okay, whew, let's go. All right. I fill up the form. I, I buy my visas. We turn around to get in line for customs. And all I hear is, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir, 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 you forgot your pen. <laughs> Guy running through the terminal yelling that I forgot waving this pen. In the, so not exactly the low profile we had intended to maintain as we entered uh, the country of Egypt. But, you know, it was a moment right off the bat. God's like, stop it. Just, you're cute. <laughs> he had a plan. He was going to use us, and it was not going to be because of what we brought. Um, and so that's, this is God's lens, okay? He has these fragile clay jars that he puts his great treasure in. We are not all that. We are simply people who are saying yes to God and doing what he has called us to do. Now, the second lens that we're going to look at, this is a bit of a challenging one that God really revealed to uh, me in a very clear way while we were in Cairo, is the lens of the lost. And we're going to look two verses previous in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of God, the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And this scripture and this reality became so evident to us when we were in the Arab world. Um, there's a, there's a festival in the Arab world called Eid al-Adha. Uh, Eid is the word festival or celebration. Al-Adha is of sacrifice. And this is when Muslims remember when Abraham took his son up on the mountain to sacrifice him. And God provided a sacrifice instead of him having to kill his son. Uh, so we have this story in the Bible. They have a, the similar story in the Quran. It just says in the Quran, his son, they would believe it was Ishmael. Uh, the Bible tells us it was Isaac. That's not necessarily the point. They have this festival where every morning, uh, or not every morning, sorry, on this day, every family would have a sheep and they go up at dawn and they sacrifice a sheep in the back of their building. So for the month leading up to this, there are corners of the streets in Cairo that are just filled with sheep. And if they have a big orange spray paint on their back, that means the family's bought that sheep. If you can't afford that, you might do a pigeon or you might do a dove or you might do um, a goose or different, different animals. But uh, the, the ideal is for it to be a sheep, uh, a one-year-old. And so they, they still do this. And so I remember being down there uh, on Idalata with our neighbors. Uh, and they were friends of our family and they invited us to come down with them. So we went down when they sacrificed the sheep. And I knew the story, but I asked him to tell me, why, why do you do this? And he says to me, he, he relates a story, you know, about the prophet Abraham. Uh, God spoke to him and told him to take his son up uh, and sacrifice him. Uh, and when he got up there, God provided a sacrifice to die instead. And let me tell you something, as a missionary, if you can't preach after that, <laughs> you're in the wrong line of work, okay? But this is the gospel message. There was a price to pay. God sent a sacrifice in his son Jesus to die instead. 
Our sin cost something, and, it was his, and his name was Jesus. And he paid for it with his life. And this is what God did. The entire prophets of the Bible, and many of these prophets are in the Quran. They believe in a lot of these Old Testament prophets. They don't see. Their eyes are blinded to the reality of what the gospel message, what the Bible, the story of Jesus put together. This isn't a collection of stories. This is a story of God's plan of redemption for you and me and for every single one of his lost children in every corner of the world. That is what this book is. That is what this story is. And their eyes are blinded to it. They don't see it. You know, I remember my friend Ahmed, okay? He, um, he worked on our street, he and his brother Haney. What they were, they, they shared a taxi and they did a car wash. So in the morning, Ahmed would be washing the cars while Haney was out driving the taxi. And then at lunch, they'd switch. And Ahmed would go out on the taxi and Haney would be washing the cars. Um, we got to know these guys very well. They, they loved and protected our family. You know, I remember one night, there would be several times where if my wife had to go out kind of on her own uh, for any reason, maybe it was going to our conversation club or she had to run to the store to grab something, whatever it may be, it wouldn't be uncommon for a taxi to just all of a sudden pull up beside her uh, and stop and say, hey, where do you need to go? Uh, and she would be a little surprised because it can be a little bit challenging to find a taxi in the city. There are tons of them, but on our street, you usually had to get to the end to the major street to find one. But it would just show up, and she'd say, oh, um, Maden Lebnan, is what she would usually say, because that's where our school was. Um, and he'd say, okay, get in. And she'd go, oh, well, how much? And he, he would say, oh, no, where Haney sent me. He told me to come take you wherever you need to go. So it was this family, this aspect. There was one day where uh, my wife was walking to, um, again, out, out of our street, and some guy was on a bike saying some things to her. And she couldn't fully understand them. They, she f- could sense tone, right? You can sense and, and pick that stuff up, uh, that it wasn't maybe the kindest stuff. And Haney, again, ran across the street. He was over with his friends drinking a cup of tea, put his tea down, which is a big deal. You put your tea down, I mean, something happened. Uh, he came running across the street, put his hand on this guy's shoulder, and he said, she's not like that, get out of here. And she and told the guy to take off. Like, this was the, the love and care that we felt in that family. And my friend Ahmed, his brother, he would drive us frequently. If I ever had a trip or something where I could plan my taxi rides, uh, I would usually call him so that we could continue a lot of our conversations. And, you know, when we arrived on the field, it was January. Uh, the first major thing that we hit uh, in Christianity was Easter. So I shared the story of Easter with him and Jesus and all this kind of stuff. So that was great. You get to Christmas uh, that following year, and he was giving us a ride again, and I'm sharing the story of Christmas. And he, I'm doing this in my feeble Arabic, okay, which I probably sound like I was a four-year-old, five-year-old speaking the language, give or take. Um, And so he is helping me. He is telling me the story of Jesus and how he was born and how he came and how, oh, this was for Easter. He came with Easter in mind, all this. I'm like, yeah, 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 you're getting it. And his just the reality of what he was saying was, it was veiled. It was hidden. And I remember thinking in that moment, Ahmed believes what he believes just as strongly as I believe what I believe. He was brought up from the age of three, reading the Quran, hearing the Quran, every taxi you get into, every store you go into, you hear the Quran being sung and chanted and played over the, over the speakers in that place. And, and I remember thinking, he believes this just as strongly as I believe what I believe. What's the difference? The difference is the power of the Holy Spirit. The difference is the real and living God that is present within us. In Islam, God is very distant. He is judge. He is creator. He is almighty. He's powerful, but he is not involved. He is not connected to you. It is very religious. It is not relational. We know that Jesus came so that we could have God with us, God in us, that that we are the the temple that God dwells in, the, the Bible tells us. And so 
This is something that they don't see. And, and I remember thinking that it's the power of prayer. Again, think back to that moment at Makata Mountain that breaks through, that breaks and tears that veil. It's not going to be because of some brilliant, um, rational uh, debate argument that I come up with or something that God gives me. It's going to be a result of the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what is going to make things happen and open, break these veils and tear them down and open eyes. And I want to share a story with you of a guy named Zumi. That is a perfect um, example of the power of prayer. Um, Zumi is a guy that one of our, our fellow co-workers met in Morocco uh, during Ramadan, okay? We pray regularly that God would just intersect our lives with people, give us divine appointments, if you will, these, these people of peace who are ready to hear the gospel. And Zumi was one of those guys uh, that our co-worker met and we all began praying for him. We have pray bands uh, all across the country that pray in partnership with our teams. And we were all praying uh, for this guy, Zumi. And God miraculously opened his heart and Jonathan had the blessed opportunity to lead this guy to the Lord uh, during Ramadan. And, and you know, he was, he was challenging him because he had been present during uh, our friend Jonathan. He had been grilled by some of his friends. Well, if the Bible says this, how can this be real? Or why did Jesus do this? And just grilled for his beliefs. And he said to Zumi, he goes, are you ready for that? He goes, if you choose to believe, what, how are you going to handle when someone attacks you like that? And he says, what do you mean if I choose to believe? I've already chosen to believe. And so Zumi, he came to Christ, and, and now a couple months later, this guy is absolutely on fire. That he, and I want to read this story that Jonathan uh, shared with us. So this is Jonathan and Zumi meeting with this other guy, Salamat. And Jonathan says, what have you been learning from the gospel, Salamat? Salamat says, I just read about how Abraham died on the cross and rose from the dead. Zumi struggled to, to cut in and recovered from laughing. Don't worry, Jonathan, I am teaching him well. He's just not good with names. <laughs> so then Jonathan says this conversation comes in mind as my most joyful of three years in Morocco since his dramatic conversion during Ramadan Zumi has kept me busy he visits regularly to pray worship and study God's word he keeps one Bible in his hand for reading and another in his backpack for giving away his days are hard as he recovers from losing his job for sharing the gospel and from being pushed out of his family for his strange new beliefs and practices but his smile only widens as he finds more and more Moroccans that want to hear the be and believe the story of Jesus that he loves to tell. I don't think Zumi knows he is special. He doesn't realize he is unique and anointed. He doesn't understand that what he is doing is groundbreaking, dangerous, and beautiful. I now know that when my doorbell rings in the middle of the night, Zumi is signaling me to walk across the street to the park where I will find him sitting in the grass with a grin and a friend. This one believed the story of Jesus too. What should we do with him? I am overwhelmed, but he is at peace. I am in shock, but he is steady. We are both learning to follow Jesus right now. I strongly believe this is happening because this is what we have been praying. And Zumi, for our illustration today with lenses, had a very lens-shifting moment in his life. A very perspective-shifting moment in his life. And we've all had several, several of these. And the, the question becomes, uh, as we are about to look at the final lens, which is how we respond, um, what our view is. So I have a quick video here that we want to show you um, that will give you some concepts and some potential on how you can respond to this. 30% of the world's population has never heard the gospel of Jesus. That is billions of real people who have never experienced the love of God. Live Dead exists for the beautiful singular purpose of seeing the church planted among these unreached people groups through teams. 
2,000 years ago, Jesus gave us one final mission that we call the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. This is not just for some. We all have a collective responsibility to complete this mission. Live Dead Advocacy is committed to helping us do just that by mobilizing people to pray, give, speak, and go for the sake of the unreached. What is your role? We begin with prayer, the very foundation of this work that is easily overlooked because of its childlike simplicity. But prayer doesn't just support the work, it is the work. It's just as important as proclaiming the gospel. Live Dead is committed to empowering you to pray more effectively. Just find two others to form a Live Dead Pray Band and meet at least once a month to pray. We will partner you with a church planting team and equip you with tools to help you engage in strategic, timely, and accurate prayers. Things happen when we pray that wouldn't if we didn't. We also give. Only 6% of all church giving in America goes to foreign missions, and only 1% of that giving actually goes to reach unreached people groups. Americans spend more on pet food and chewing gum than the cause of world missions. What if we, as the church, begin to focus more money on fulfilling the Great Commission? You can give a one-time gift or give monthly to fuel this critical work. Our teams cannot get where they need to go without your help. We speak. There are billions of people who have never heard about Jesus, and yet so many of us go about our lives ignorant of this problem. Music, art, and social media are just a few ways to speak up on behalf of the unreached and do it in a way that people understand. Speak up, be a voice for the voiceless. Use what you love to speak for those God loves. Ultimately, we go. The Great Commission does not happen without going. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone. We need teams of committed people like you and me on the front lines sharing the hope of Jesus. Through Live Dead Advocacy, we want to empower you to engage with this call to go, and there are several ways in which you can do that. Go for an intensive seven to 10 day trip or a four to eight week internship, or take it a step further and go for a year. But most importantly, we pray you do this with an open heart to hear God's call into a lifetime of planting the church among the unreached through teams. While short-term trips are helpful, the greatest need in missions is long-term, boots-on-the-ground missionaries. Jesus said go, and so, we go. Live Dead Advocacy exists to mobilize people to pray, speak, give, and go for the sake of the unreached. The Great Commission is not a suggestion to a few, but a command to us all. How will you respond?
So the question as we look at it today is, what's your lens tell you about these realities? We all have a role. We all have a part to play in this. Uh, and we all have these lens-shifting, perspective-shifting moments in our life. I talked about one on Mokata Mountain. Another one was being married. Another one was having kids, okay? Your world shifts uh, when you have kids. One of them was while I was on staff at the church. Um, I, I was a worship leader for several years, and one of the things uh, that spoke to me was a quote by a man named A.W. Tozer. He said that <laughs> Christians don't tell lies, they go to church and sing them. Uh, and, and this, uh, and <laughs> just to help, he was, he's an old dude, okay? So he wrote this while we were still singing all the hymns. So this isn't anything about that. This is that we sing things that we may not necessarily believe. And I remember thinking as I led worship, this was something that shifted my perspective. This was something that framed, I never wanted to walk into church uh, and sing a lie. Another perspective shifter for me was moving and living in Cairo. It shifts the way you view things. And to put those two together, one of the things that God really did in me is my first weeks coming back from uh, the Arab world were shocking. And it was incredibly beautiful to be a part of a, a worship service just like this, where you are in the presence of God, you're surrounded by people, who are desiring and seeking the Lord. And to sense that presence uh, was very real. But what God did in me is as I'm singing these songs, he, he prompted me to insert the unreached into these songs. And one of the ones that we sang very early on in coming back, you've probably heard this song, but it's called What a Beautiful Name It Is. Okay? And what the, one of the verses says this, you didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? And I remember thinking, oh, man, this is, this is such a beautiful truth. You know, we, I, I go to scripture to kind of give the foundation of that. Romans 8, 38 says, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? This is the foundation of that, of that song, of that message that neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation, no, powers of heaven or the principalities of hell, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that is true. But that's us. That's us, followers of Christ. That's who Paul's talking to. And I think sometimes in, in our view, we put that as people. And I remember singing that song and just God prompting me to shift it a little bit. And, and I sang it kind of like this. He said, you didn't want heaven without them. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. He didn't want heaven without Zumi, without Ahmed, without Ayman, without you. So he sent Jesus and brought heaven down. Their sin is great, but your love is greater. What can separate them now? And I remember as I sang that and meditating on this scripture, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I heard God say to me, what can separate them now? He said, you can. I said, I'm sorry, what? I, I, I missed something, Lord. He said, you can separate them from my love. We God's plan A, with no plan B. We can make conscious choices in our life that separate the unreached from the love of God. And so our challenge today is what is your perspective of this reality? 40% of the world is unreached. 1% of the 6% of missions given goes towards getting the gospel where the gospel is not preached, where the gospel has not been heard, that we are God's plan A and he gave us this mission. What will we do? Will we make the choices? Will we put our retirement funds? Will we put our children's schooling? Will we put the comforts of home and the security of our families ahead of Jesus' message to the rest of the world? We have the choice today. 
And I'm not saying that all of you are going to go. I believe that in a room this size, there is someone in this room right now who God would call you to go and live out your giftings and your passions and your talents among the unreached. I believe that. Will you say yes to him? There'll be plenty of us that aren't called to necessarily do that, but we are all called to engage. That video said, the Great Commission is not a suggestion to a few, it's a command to us all. So what is your response? What is it that God is empowering you to do? Is it to, to give in these missions offerings? Is it to adopt a family and pray for them? I believe that's for everyone, just to be clear. But our role is to say yes to God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, help us this morning to be the kind of people that say yes to you. God, I pray right now that I would never find myself, that we would never find ourselves in a position where we have separated someone from the love of God. Lord, that I would open my mouth and boldly proclaim the truth of Jesus among the unreached of the Arab world. God, that you would stir in each and every one of our hearts, God, what it is that you are calling us to do. And Lord, that we would be people who are quick to say yes to you, God. So that is our commitment today, God, that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will separate them from your love, God. We won't let us be part of that list. We will not be part of the list of things that separate others from the love of God. So God, speak to us, inspire us, and help us to say yes to you in whatever you call us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, this may sound a little bit different, but, and I've never done this before, and I know that when Tim walked off and we applaud, that is the right and appropriate thing to do, and we should always, always, always do that, and what we're doing is, is we applaud it, we've been challenged, we've heard a great message, all right, never done this before, here's what I want you to do, I want you for Tim and his family, his family's not here, but uh, I want you to give him and his family another big hand, not just for the message, but for the going, that he would take his family in a place just like you and I. And I know if you're like me, when he was talking about being on that bus in Cairo, walking into customs in Cairo, I hope that that evoked something within you. If it didn't, mm. But so would you join me? And not just for the message, but this guy, would sort of walk away from the American dream and take his family because he cares about the loss in Cairo and around the world in, in that area. Can we put our hands together once again? And you know what? You and I have to be involved in that. Tim struck a nerve. There may be some of you in this service today that God is saying, you know what? You, you need to go. And if so, you need to go. Now, that's not going to be the majority of us. Let me just make this as simple as I know how. For all of the rest of us that are Christians, if we're not going, we need to be praying and we need to be giving. And you know, I have people say all the time, well, I, I just, I don't have any extra resources. But you know what I found among Americans? We have enough to do what we really want to do. Have you ever found that to be true? How many of you know this? If you want to do something bad enough, you can generally find a way to make it happen. How many of you know I'm telling you the truth? 
And so when I look at that and, and Tim, and I saw the video ahead of time, I saw it this week, and that one little deal there that just said that, that Americans, for the most part, spend more on food for pets than they do for helping people around the world to hear 40% billions of people that have not yet heard. And so I'm just going to ask you to really be thinking about that. And listen, I just want to get rid of this notion. A lot of you heard it. A lot of you started hearing it when you went off to college. And some of you uh, students, when you go to college, somebody's going to say something like this to you. They're going to say, you know what? All religions are equal and all religions lead to God. And that is not true. All religions are not equal. All religions do not lead to God. All right. I want to say this, and I don't say this um, with any kind of attitude. I just say it because it's fact. Christianity is different. And Christianity is different because of Jesus. And Jesus sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. And here's how we can know this. Listen, it's just this fundamental. It's just this simple. If anybody can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, that's the person we need to be listening to. And how many of you know Jesus did that? He predicted his death, his resurrection, and he pulled it off. No other religion has ever done that. And the message of Jesus is a message of Christianity, and everybody deserves to hear about it. Do you agree? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just take it out. It's in your bulletin, the faith promise card. Would you just go ahead and take that out for just a moment? I'm going to mention it for just a second. There's two ways that you can respond. And again, this is in addition to praying. And those of you who are going to give strong consideration that maybe God is leading you to the going like Tim and his family. And so, you know, if God speaks to you, you need to talk to us and let us help facilitate that in your life. We all need to be praying. And that's why I want you to take a missions prayer journal. And we all need to be giving if you're a Christian and you're a sincere follower of Jesus. And so there's a couple of ways to give. Number one, you can give a one-time gift in the month of November. And you may not have that with you today, but that one-time gift goes toward our missionaries, our missions conference missionaries, just like Tim. And you can make that one-time gift. If you have it today, I'm going to ask you to just give generously in that regard. Just make the check payable to uh, Victory Church and you can put it in an envelope and just put missions conference. All right. If you don't have it today, just bring it with you next week or the week after that, but sometime in the month of November. The other thing is, I'd love it if every one of you would make a missions faith promise. I started doing this when I was 16 years old, and I've done it all of my life since I was 16 years old. And I have, I have regrets about doing stupid things with money, but never with a missions faith promise. And so uh, if you know that you're going to be here next week, you know, then take it with you, the mission's faith promise. Take it with you. Talk about it if you're married. If you have a family, talk it over with your family. Bring this back next week, and we'll fill it out together next week, the missionary faith promise. But if you know that you're not going to be here next week, go ahead and fill it out today. And this doesn't start this year. It starts in January of 2019. That's when you'd start giving. And here's the thing I gotta ask all of us to do. Look at your budget. Some of you are saying, well, what's a budget? I don't have a budget. All right, that's for a whole nother talk. You need a budget. Y'all need to know where your money's going. But look, take a look, would you this week over the next few days and look at all the different amounts of money you got going to all the different places. And then all I ask you to do is to ask God a simple question. God, when I've got this going toward that, and I've got this going toward that, and this I'm giving toward this, this I'm giving toward, and this, how much can I give every month starting January 2019 so that people who have never heard of Jesus will have the opportunity to hear about Jesus? And then you bring that card back with you 
next week, and we'll complete it together. Again, if you're not going to be here next week, I hope you will. But, uh, you know, if you're planning on being out of town or you know you're going to be in the hospital, I hope you're not going to be in the hospital. But if you know you are, then you can feel, I'm just kidding about that, all right? But if you know you're not going to be here because you're going to be out of town, then you could go ahead and fill that out and drop it in today. So I'm going to pray, and then just give us, don't move, give us long enough to collect the envelopes, your, your gift, your one-time gift for this month, or your missions faith promise card if you're not going to be here next week. And the band's just going to lead us in a real quick song, and then we're going to be out of here, but I don't want anybody to leave before I dismiss this in prayer. So Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for Tim. Thank you for his family and many, many others, just like the 177 other families that we support every single month and the 41 organizations. God, a lot of them right here at home, a lot of them scattered around the world. Thank you for giving us the privilege. God, you are calling some to go, and I pray that they will go. You're calling all of the rest of us to pray, and I pray that we'll pray. You're calling all the rest of us to give, and I pray that we will give and that you will be pleased in what we do for something that is so important that people would hear about your son Jesus who died on the cross and was resurrected, whose message is the message so that one day they get to go to heaven too. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I'm so glad that you came to be a part of this missions conference. You don't want to miss next week. And that's all I'm going to say about it. We're going to have an outstanding time together. Hey, stop by the missions table. Give that a look. Sign up to ring the bell for Salvation Army. That's coming up real soon. Look over the missions table. Look at those Live Dead books. There's about eight or ten different copies out there. Hey, and if you see Tim out in the lobby, would you just let him know how much you appreciate him 
and his time being with us and his family. Let him know that. Say hi to him. I'm so glad you're here today. And uh, be back next week. You won't regret it, I promise. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for such a tremendous church family that loves you and loves your gospel and loves the world and wants to make a difference in something that will last forever. We pray it in Jesus' name. Love you, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you.